Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Tales from the Crew. We have the amazing Alan Lazar with us today, uh, composer, music aficionado, um, who recently completed the Netflix original movie, The Wild, starring Kristen Davis and Rob Lowe. He's also scored more than 50 films and TV shows, uh, including Sex in the City, and, uh, and if I can read this right, 15 seasons of Real Housewives. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, so you've composed before. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Uh, yeah. you, you know, it's really exciting to talk to you today, especially because, um, you know, it's fun with uh, speaking with, you know, certain positions, uh, certain crew members. But one thing that's really interesting is how uh, the different sort of formats that you work on from independent films to reality shows to scripted TV shows, sort of uh, anything and everything. And I'm sure that kind of um, is challenging and exciting at the same time. Yeah. Um, I think both those words uh, describe it very well. And, you know, every project is different. Like that's the thing. I feel like on every single new project that I work on, I learn something new. Um, there's a different set of personalities at play the creative process requires like a different approach. Um, and I think that's what I really love about composing. It kind of never really gets boring. Um, <laughs> there's always something new to learn and uh, something, something new to try musically. So. Yeah. I could, I could imagine just um, you can't really, once you like get something down in terms of for one movie, the tone of another project is completely different and it's, almost like starting from scratch again. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, what I learned very early on as a composer, um, I came from a pop band background. And when you're making a record as a pop band, it's all about your music. Uh, I mean, you're obviously the center of everything. Whereas when you're writing music for film and TV, you are there to serve uh, the movie or there to, to serve the TV show um, you are there to support the characters and the plot and the themes. Um, you, you're there to support the story. Um, your music is not meant to stand out. It's meant to enhance the, the overall emotional impact of what you're, what you're working on. And um, it's fundamentally different from, from other types of music creation in that way, you know? And it's why every single film is different, every single TV show is different, and it requires a very different musical treatment often, you know? Interesting. So what's, what's the, um, what, what is it about like creating original music that's different from creating original music for uh, a film, I guess, in your experience? Um, well, I think uh, obviously, you know, on most movies, the, the director is very much the boss. And, um, you know, I've been asked about that over the years. Uh, you know, what's it like having a director who's essentially uh, the last remaining dictatorship on earth in many ways? And uh, to be honest, dictator, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's kind of, it's better working with a strong director. I've learned that over the years. Um, you don't want a director who doesn't give you clear direction. <clears throat> you want someone who's going to be decisive and tell you what they like and what they don't like uh, and can give you answers. Um, when you're working for 
a director who's kind of, you know, scared to hurt other people's feelings or, uh, you know, uh, doesn't want to tread on your toes too much, um, you often land up doing a lot more work because it takes a longer time to, uh, you know, to get to the final product. So, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I'm very much in favor of strong directors. I think they make uh, it's it's better for everyone when there's a strong director and you you follow their vision and and give them your very best. You know. Yeah, I mean, I, um, for example, I feel like a, a director that you know doesn't really uh, or can't articulate his vision or her vision. Um, mm-hmm. It almost becomes like a vacuum where other people start taking creative chances. Mm-hmm. And it's it's frustrating because the the director knows if that's going to work or not, but they can't articulate why it's not working to get you in the right direction. And it's it's almost like a blessing or such a, a nice um, uh, opportunity to work with really talented directors that that can tell you exactly what they want and uh, mm-hmm. and really articulate the tone or the feel that they're looking for. And, and I think one of the things that we touched on, you know, in talking the last time was just uh, the communication. Um, yeah, obviously, a lot of uh, directors are directors and don't have uh, the musical background that you do. So really under- kind of like translating, you know, what they want, whether it's like saying, oh, you know, we want to hit these beats or we want to have this sort of tone or this sort of feel. And um, mm-hmm. what is it like to really kind of like digest all that information and and translated into music well um you know i think uh, a, a good composer that's really 60 or 70 percent of their job is that interpretation and that translation because music is something that not that many people have a sort of detailed technical knowledge of um you know most people are not going to know what a c sharp diminished ninth chord is you know or what a oboe demore is or um you know they're not going to know those detailed specifics uh, of what goes into making music and they shouldn't that's the thing uh, a lot of uh, particularly first time filmmakers will come to me and i can sense that they are a little intimidated speaking about music and I always encourage them not to be because they should speak to me or to any other composer that they're working with um, in the language that they feel confident speaking in, which varies from director to, to director, but um, it's generally to do with story, it's to do with character, it's to deal with, it's to do with emotions. Uh, as you mentioned, it's to do with particular beats in a story that they want to emphasize. Uh, sometimes it's about a visual thing um, some directors come from a cinematography background or a, uh, a visual arts background, and they like speaking in those terms. And I like to just sit and listen and figure out what are the connections between what they are saying and musical language, which I know very, very well, and figuring out what those connections are and then expressing what they're saying in musical language is kind of yeah, it, the, that's what my job is really. And I, I love it. I love that interpretation process. But my my advice to filmmakers is speak in the language in which you're comfortable because a good composer will be able to interpret what you say. Yeah, and I feel like the more honest you are, the more you can connect on almost an emotional level with what, what the director's trying to achieve. For sure. And, uh, you know, I think what's wonderful is when you've worked with people for a long time, you you get almost the shorthand 
like the couple of directors I've worked with for you know 20 years and it's all, like every time we work together it's like picking up the conversation again and I, I can instantly jump to a certain place with them just because we know each other very well. We know the things that we like and I know their way of speaking. I know the type of <laughs> communication they're going to give me. Um, and it's such a pleasure seeing those relationships develop with filmmakers. It's, it's the best thing in the world. I mean, as you know, like filmmaking is just, it is the best thing in the entire world. And it's, it's really, kind yeah. of like a, <laughs> it's like a curse because there are a lot of ups and downs in this career uh, there are times when you don't know how you're going to pay the bills next month. Um, and yet at the same time, once you're in it, you have no choice. You're going to stay in it forever because it's, it's the best thing ever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you, you nailed it. I mean, that's, that's everything. And, and I think that's really the spirit of, of uh, filmmaking is collaboration. And that's something mm-hmm. that, you know, is to me, the the best part about filmmaking is you have 70, 200 people, all working towards a common creative vision and they all bring their unique talent and skill and passion into the story. And it all shows up on screen as mm-hmm. in one singular frame. And it's, it's um, I don't think there's anything better than that. And it's, it's cool to, to hear how you uh, as a, you know, a, as a member of that crew contributes to it in your own unique way. Thank you. And yeah, as you say, all these talented people putting something together, it, it's really a wondrous thing. <laughs> it's just a wondrous thing. It is. And again, I mean, you know, I think a lot of it, it depends on um, a very strong, uh, clear vision. But, mm-hmm. but you know, e- even when you don't have a, a clear pathway, sometimes it's almost okay because mm-hmm. you, you learn and explore like going through a jungle <laughs> together <laughs> and you kind of finally kind of figure out that pathway and you really – uh, and th- that's a cool experience too. When, um, when you are just sort of in the trenches working it out. Absolutely, and I and I think as well, like the thing which is quite unique about film, as opposed to some other art forms, is, you know, making a film is kind of a collision with reality, because <laughs> you you like going into the the whole filmmaking process um, with a script in mind and a and a grand vision. And then, of course, you encounter reality in so many different ways. Like, you know, it rains in the day when you're meant to have your, you know, your outdoor shoot and you run out of money and crazy stuff. I just had a, a director friend of mine. They were two days away from shooting and the, the freaking coronavirus stopped their shoot. Oh, <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. That's so, so It is. But like I said to him, I said, don't worry, your film will get made and there'll be a reason why this all happened, you know. Um, so the the thing as a composer is often I'm there at the very end of the process. So I'm dealing with a director and producer, um, you know, who've often been together for a very long time on a project and their, their movie is now, it kind of is what it is. And the, the music is the last chance to kind of polish it up. And, yeah. Uh, it's like that remaining pot of money that's left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> True. Often not very much, but uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's it's good though if you can get in, you know, especially with having a direct a, a direct relationship and um, with the director going into the project because then ahead of time you can um, start working on you know creative ideas to incorporate into the story or set the tone for the story uh, mm-hmm. before you even start filming or or while filming and. Um, and I'm sure that 
is a very beneficial process for uh, for creatively for everyone involved. Yeah, definitely. Like I, I've been brought in on projects at all stages of the process. I mean, sometimes it's literally they've just finished the final cut and they need music urgently and I'm in it and that's it. But on many projects, I've been involved with them right from early script stage uh, because I have friends who are directors who've been trying to get projects off the ground. And uh, it's actually really great to get involved as early on as possible because, um, you know, it's kind of stirring the pot. Uh, you start getting little ideas and maybe only 5% of those ideas may remain at the end of it. But the longer you've got to cook a stew, the, mo the more tasty that stew is going to be. So uh, that's exactly I, right. Mm -hmm. I, I always encourage, uh, you know, friends who, who filmmakers get me involved early because those discussions are often really valuable to me. Yeah. Sometimes I, I, I don't know if this is selfish or not, but I get so excited when I hear like a, a reference cut from mm -hmm. a composer before we start filming. And mm -hmm. I'll share that with the DP or the key grip and just, you know, it's like, it's like um, just an instinctual excitement, but at the same time, I feel like it's, great because then they hear it they're like oh i see i feel that and mm -hmm. and and how they tr how they process that uh also is an opportunity to get everyone aligned within the same vision mm, that's great I'm so, I'm so happy to hear that you do that on your projects actually that you get uh, you get music involved that early on uh, a lot of people don't and it's just really interesting you, you know i think with the development of technology the whole filmmaking process has become so much more flexible as well like with editing and um you know we're not editing on flatbeds anymore like we were i don't know 30 years ago no you could you could really take a lot of chances yeah, for sure. And you have so much flexibility early on with music to put music into the pot and change it around. And, um, you know, the, the, the whole process has become a lot more, a lot less linear in a lot of ways, I think. And I think that's good for the creativity, you know? Yeah. I you know, I think, um, especially like being able to just like pull reference tracks and like put together something pretty quickly, you know, to, to give to a composer saying, these are some of the ideas I have. Mm -hmm. And then a, a, you know, a composer can come in and maybe with samples or something else, kind of just like kind of dance till we find that, that right tone. Mm -hmm. And something that you were saying also uh, last time we talked was, um, you know, rather than going with just, you know, using a uh, uh, sample instrument or samples and, and digital instruments, uh, really bringing in musicians and session players to really give it an honest emotional feel, which I think adds a whole other layer of collaboration. Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, to the extent uh, filmmakers can budget for that um, and include that in their plans, it's so important. You know, 40, 50 years ago, most TV shows uh, would use live musicians. If you heard a TV theme, it was performed by live musicians. Um, and these days, particularly in television, there are so few TV shows actually using live musicians on their scores. It's kind of scary. Um, you know, The Simpsons is kind of one of the last remaining ones. Uh, of course, series like Lost had a fantastic orchestral score. But the, those shows are, are few and far between. Um, because samples have got very good. You can do a lot with samples, mm -hmm. uh, work on computers, and all, com you know, all composers these days are, are very well acquainted with that, that technology. Um, and I, I love the technology, 
yet at the same time, what a, a really good live musician um, can bring to a piece of music. It's, it's somewhat akin to what an actor does with a set of lines. You can have a beautifully written script um, which pops off the page, but put in the hands of a terrific actor, they're gonna elevate it to another whole level. And it's the same thing. Something that sounds good on samples, you then put in the hands of a terrific musician and the whole emotional impact uh, of that music will be taken to another level. So it's really worth just uh, trying to budget for live musicians, which is expensive, uh, particularly if you're trying to do um, full orchestra. And it's a discussion I land up having on every single movie. And sometimes we get it. Sometimes we figure out a compromise of some sort. Um, but it adds so much to score. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's so hard because you can... You have so many big dreams, like before you start shooting, and then once mm -hmm. you go through production, which is usually just a, you know, a big trial by fire. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. <laughs> you don't know how you're going to end up on the other side, and you yeah. just pray that you have enough money yeah. to, to maybe spend a little extra to have that. But it's, yeah, uh, <laughs> it's it's a challenge, you know. And I, I think one of the um, the key benefits is. Um, knowing what you want specifically beforehand and budgeting that so mm -hmm. that you can almost ensure that you have that quality on the back end. Because if you, if you don't, and then you want it later on, it's, it's always easier to have than to try to find it. Absolutely. No, I, th I think that's completely true. And uh, look, the thing is, as well as, you know, most composers are pretty, uh, they're pretty thrifty and they're pretty <laughs> good at getting really good work done. Uh, on a low budget because we've all had those budgets yeah um, but sometimes just with a little bit more you can get a session with a you know a really terrific guitarist or a really terrific flute player or a terrific cello player and it can just elevate the whole project so much when you have those uh those little extras in there and you're not just using samples you know absolutely um, what's yeah. what's your process or what's your experience with working with like um with post sound houses or with um, just post sound in general from sound editing to mm -hmm. um, sound design and, you know, uh, you know, ultimately the re-recording mix. How do you, how do you usually work within that process? Well, um, you know, it varies again from project to project. Uh, I actually like to have a lot of connection to the sound guys because um, the sound design is, is so interlinked with the score like ideally they should be kind of thought of um, together and a good director is, is really going to be thinking about the linkages between them. I mean, I think specifically in, in recent years, you've really seen a lot of these, I guess I would call them ambient or textural uh, scores develop, which are verging on sound design. They're very, yeah. very close to, you know, they have very little melody. They're all about ambient textural sounds. Um, so I, I think it's good to have these conversations going. Um, I always like to be present uh, at the final mix as well. And sometimes the sound team kind of doesn't like having the composer on the stage uh, because they think the composer is just going to want to turn up the music the whole time. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I really... Lift the score, <laughs> lift the score. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you, you do get composers who do that, no doubt. Sure. But, you know, like I really care about the movie as a whole and is it having maximum emotional impact? So I'm not one of those composers. I'm, I'm more there to make sure everything is well balanced. Uh, it's reassuring to me to, 
even be there to make final little tweaks in the music edits at the last minute uh, to make everything smooth and finessed and beautiful. Yeah. Um, so I generally land up really befriending the mix guys and once they realize i'm <laughs> i'm not just there to turn the music up um <laughs> we, we actually land up having a really constructive time um, yeah i mean there's so much collaborate great collaboration that could happen during a final sound mix mm-hmm, for sure it's such an exciting part of the process and i think i think so i just love it i mean there's only one thing i love more than that final viewing at a mix stage and that is watching a movie with an audience there is just nothing that comes close to that for me uh, i just love it so much <laughs> it's a uh, i agree but this the uh, the final sound mix is usually a close second when it just all sure. comes together it's so thrilling mm-hmm. it really is it must be very rewarding for you as a filmmaker michael it is and it's just um you know it's because it's like you have a locked picture and everything comprised that locked picture but then mm-hmm. That that's so far down the road, for, or, or you know, back to where you were by that point. That mm. when it's you know, you have all the sound design in, the ADR in, the dialogue's mm. cleaned up, the music's uh, in there. It just it's just like a, a painting that is c- completed. It's uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's fun to see the, the just a finished product, and I think that is uh, it's cool because you're kind of all like. Uh, you know, in a, on a, in a stage, uh, drinking coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Love it. <laughs> and just, you know, it's like, it's like, and you kind of feel like you're in a movie theater, you know, where, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that to it's me, one of the thrilling part. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, you know, something I wanted to touch on with you also is, uh, you know, um, you, you built up a, um, a music library, which is, to me, um, such a brilliant idea, uh, especially in the world we live in with the, the need for, you know, uh, constantly need to license songs for, s- there's so much content out now. How mm-hmm. did you, how did you go from the being in a band to then, uh, like building up a music library and composing? What, what was the linear process like for that? we have four hours <laughs> yeah um well you know being in a band was a totally unexpected thing i i was at college in south africa actually and uh i was playing in this band called mango groove on the weekends just to earn a bit of extra cash and uh we landed up getting a record deal and then it landed up being a very successful record in south africa and this was a completely unexpected thing to happen um so th- that kind of got me on this uh, creative path. Um, and I'd always loved movies. And um, I kind of, I thought, well, let me go to film school just to learn how to make movies. And I won a scholarship from South Africa, a Fulbright scholarship to come to USC film school. Wow. Um, and I came, came here to study film, originally kind of planning to, uh, you know, write and direct. And I'd, I realized how, how difficult directing was. Um, And at the same time, when I was at film school, I started writing music for a lot of my friends' student films. Um, And that's kind of how I got in this path, basically. Uh, After film school, I just gravitated to to composing. And I actually really value what film school gave me, though, because it it gave me that sort of language that filmmakers talk in, you know. Uh, I understand story very well because I I studied it, you know. Yeah. so from there, uh, I started scoring and I sort of became aware of production music or music libraries. Um, 
the the respectable term is production music these days. Not and uh, <laughs> it's like uh, you know, music music library started off with uh, this sort of connotation of being very low quality. Um, in the seventies and eighties, it would be like last resort music, you know, um, or stuff used on like very bad AM radio stations or something. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. And uh, then it kind of started developing in the 90s. You know, there was a proliferation of TV stations around the world and also the internet happened. So there was this huge demand for musical content. So it kind so, of followed the trajectory of like cable television, the internet. That's it. Like, yeah, like there's tons of people needing music and often needing it very, very quickly. Um, and not wanting to go through the hassles of licensing, which can be very complicated on a typical commercial song. So during the 2000s, the music started getting a lot better in these production music catalogs. And then big name composers like Hans Zimmer kind of got in on the act with uh, extreme music. So I was becoming aware of it. And uh, this contact I had in a, I'd been writing themes for this international network for a long time. And they came to me and they wanted to get involved in the music industry somehow. And they were like, well, what can we do? And uh, I thought about it. I was like, oh, we should start a production music catalog. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that's how uh, the, the catalog which I've built is called the Lalela Music Library. Lalela is the Zulu word for listen. And we started that in 2009. It's now about 370 albums. Um, and it's it crosses the gamut of everything. It's comedy and action and drama and rock and pop and reggae and all sorts of crazy stuff. And um, we uh, we sold it in uh, 2017 to SDX, which is uh, you know uh, one of the studios here. Yeah. And I uh, I I look after it at SDX now for them. Um, but it's been sort of again and like everything else in the uh, industry, it's been an unexpected journey and uh it's really been great and the, the wonderful thing about production music um i've met so many interesting composers we have about 150 composers who've written for the catalog um so i've learned a lot from all of them uh they all have their own weird energy and it's it's just been really great interacting with them and uh production music also has this footprint across the world so i've I've just met really interesting people from all sorts of strange places who use this music. So that's really cool. Cause do you ever feel like maybe like a composer, you're kind of on an Island you know? <laughs> yeah, <totally. laughs> Got to you in your own studio by yourself. But yeah, I mean, it's, I think that's really cool to, to get a chance to kind of meet and work with other composers. Definitely. I mean, uh, you know, since your, your podcast is specifically about crew, I guess, Editors are probably the people that we relate the most to. Um, sure, <laughs> we we spend lots of time in a in a dark room, uh, you know, hacking away at our work. The editing ahead of you, yeah, yeah, for sure. Like at least like editors get to spend more time with the director, though. Like you know, I'll generally on a uh, on a film have maybe four or five meetings with the director in my studio, and the rest of the time I'm alone all the time. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but it's yeah, no, it's this whole social distancing thing going on right now. I'm like, I'm very used to it. I've been giving tips for. It must be so difficult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I look, one gets cabin fever as a composer. It's a. I, I've made a very conscious effort to kind of socialize over the years and. Yeah, and, uh, and keep social connections going because you sort of balance it. Yeah, particularly if you're working on like some really like dark 
murder mystery or something, man, you can start going pretty crazy when you're writing like dark, depressing musical day for weeks and end. You can go. I guess it's epic. super intense, right? Where you're alone trying to feel these emotions and score that. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> it is intense because it's, it's all about emotion. Like music is the emotion. It's an emotional language. So to write really good music for films or TV shows, you've got to go to that place. You've got to feel those emotions and let it come out of you. And it's a wonderful process, but it can be quite intense sometimes too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure that could be taxing, you know? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, uh, I think, yeah. Cause when you're on set, it's like, you're all going through that, but then it's like you yell cut and everyone kind of goes back to, you know, Mm-hmm. there's a whole different energy on the, in the set where it's a different tone where I guess you don't have that break from, from that when you're by yourself making music. No, oh, I mean, I, <laughs> I, 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 you know, that's why my family is obviously so important to me and, and friends just so that when I get out of the, the studio, I have that, uh, that people connection. Cause you know, as you're saying, like when you're on a movie set, there's people all around you. So you, you get that sort of feedback, but, yeah, being a composer can be a bit lonely sometimes, for sure. Yeah, and I'm sure it also once um you you know you hit the right notes, it's got to be such a great feeling at the same time. Um, oh, it is. Like sometimes you know when you when you hit it, it's uh it's just you kind of know you've got something good sometimes, and uh, and then sometimes the next day it sounds horrible, and you're like. <laughs> 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 but uh yeah it's it's great when you feel like you've got that little sense of gold uh it's it's That's wonderful cool. but of course you don't you don't know until you know the uh the director and the the editor and and sometimes the producer have come back to you and and said they liked it you never know if people are going to like it and you've got to be prepared to kind of throw away everything That's the other great thing about having Oh a- yeah I mean a lot of my production music catalog I started on tracks that i i hadn't used on movies or tv shows for whatever reason they Uh, were yeah (laughs) they were they were rejected tracks which this for some reason didn't work like on a movie or tv show but they were nonetheless good pieces of music and many of them have landed up being used effectively elsewhere it's kind of is is that kind of the uh, genesis to the uh, to the library was uh our productions uh music productions can't say it <laughs> uh, but uh was that sort of the genesis to the library well um it's probably only those rejected tracks probably only account for about three four percent of our library most of our stuff is commissioned new but when i was setting up the uh the library originally um I, you know i sifted through my hard drives and found probably i think about 200 tracks which were part of our initial sort of thousand or fifteen hundred they were tracks which had been rejected from elsewhere and i never waste anything anymore like if i do a demo for something and then i don't get the gig or whatever i just stick it in the library and it gets used it's that is so smart it's been awesome (laughs) that's really cool i guess it's uh kind of a nice insurance to uh not feel like you've wasted your time if you do it and nothing comes out of it yeah for sure yeah um cool well um you know i i um i'm always like trying to find like the next new sound or the next uh something um i guess original that uh that no one's heard before how does uh 
how does that work? Are you constantly looking for like, I, do you find yourself doing the same thing and sort of like um, searching new instruments or older instruments or ex experimenting with, with different uh, sounds, try to keep changing it up? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I do always try and stay um, original. I mean, there's a sort of a, there's like a set language of film music though, which one often just lands up going back to because it works and because it feels familiar to people. So I, I often see with um, filmmakers coming in, they'll, 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 they'll say, we want to make it edgy. We want to make it totally unusual, go wild. Yeah. Um, and we go through that process and we'll definitely get some good stuff out of there, but then we'll also land up going back to more traditional stuff like strings and piano and simple percussive rhythms. And it's because there's a sort of a, a filmic language, which everybody knows, um, which you land up drawing on in, in, in many ways. So I, I think it's about finding um, a path between the two, between trying to keep stuff really fresh and original and creative. And at the same time, knowing what the conventions are and that sometimes you need to use the conventions because they work. I mean, I guess it's kind of like screenwriting in a lot of yeah, ways. Yeah. I think that's a good association. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, but you, uh, you have I, like, I mean, uh, original moments that are yeah. unique, but then the fundamentals of the story mm -hmm. are sort of conventional, but there are the, it's the uniqueness of that, that story that makes it special. Yeah. Or, or like, you know, I think with screenwriting, uh, you know, so many people have taught three act structure and um, it's almost like when you're working with a three act structure, if you depart from a three act structure, you need to know why you're departing from that and that you're going to be playing with people's um, conventions and people's expectation of what a three X structure is going to be. So you need to know how to manipulate that story wise. And it's kind of the same thing with music. When you're going to depart from a traditional sounding score, you need to know what the uh, initial expectation from people is in a sense and how you're changing that in order to really be effective originally. Um, and I, I don't, uh, I, you know, it's weird. Often people would say to me, well, what music are you listening to? Or they'll, yeah. they'll expect me to be, an expert on music. And weirdly enough, I'm not, I, I hardly listen to any music outside my studio. I, I mean, I listen to the radio with my kids and stuff like that. Um, but I just watch a heck of a lot of television. Um, I love TV and I sit and watch TV constantly and I'm constantly listening to scores, but wow. while watching, while watching TV at the same time, I'm constantly yeah. aware of the music and what it's doing. And that's really how I, I stay afloat of, of trends, you know, and occasionally something comes along like, um, I mean, Chernobyl was the most fantastic score. And um, I got an Emmy screener for that, like very early on before there was all the buzz about it. And I remember watching it. I was like, geez, the score is just incredible what they're doing, you know, especially that and, opening um, moment in the first episode. My goodness. Yeah. And, and it was just, it's so wonderful hearing it for the first time, you know? Yeah. That was a tremendous series. Yeah. So, but that's really where I, I get, um, you know, a sense of where things are moving or trends. And 
Um, and then, you know, I'm a bit of a odd animal. I come from South Africa. I've lived in America for 25 years now, but um, I, I sort of have this whole connection with Africa. Um, and I think that's probably informed a lot of who I am as well, you know? Yeah. You think some of this, like the subconscious has sort of surfaced over the years of like what you, what you grew up listening to or what you really, what you feel most connected to has sort of surfaced in your work? Yeah, I think it's probably there all the time, whether I like it or not. I mean, um, you know, growing up in South Africa, most uh, TV we had and most of the stuff played on radio was American, actually. Uh, I mean, America has such a huge footprint everywhere in the world when it comes to culture. Yeah. Um, but then, of course, there was, uh, you know, my band was one of the first multiracial bands in South Africa. And it was a really sort of interesting time. Uh, just what was happening with the blending of cultures then. And um, I, I think I have, because African music is often very much rooted in rhythm as opposed to melody. Um, I've just, I've always had a very strong connection to rhythm and I feel it very, very deeply. Uh, and even if I'm writing an orchestral score, uh, which should, you know, generally they're going to be melodically based, I'm always going to be thinking of the rhythmic elements. Uh, and that probably comes you know, to some degree from my, uh, my African upbringing. Wow. So that's sort of, uh, uh, a key component to you when you're, uh, you know, putting together a composition. Yeah, probably. And, and even like little things like, uh, you know, marimbas have become, uh, quite a popular thing in like dramedy scores in recent years. Everyone got sick of pizzicato strings, you know, the bloop, 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 bloop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that sort of dead, desperate housewives you feel got really overused. And oh, now, yeah. Um, now marimbas are kind of turning up in comedy and drama, dramedy a lot. And like I've been using marimbas for years and years and years just because it's a natural instrument to think of if you grow up in South Africa, you know? So, oh, cool. Yeah. Are, you, are you on the search for new instruments? Or are you pretty satisfied with what you have? Oh, I'm constantly on the search for, for weird <laughs> new instruments. And I, I have, you know, ridiculously big sample library of all sorts of weird stuff from all over the place, which, uh, you know, I, I do it with samples. And then if I can budget-wise, I'll figure out a way to use a, a real instrumentalist to kind of perform it again, you know? That's uh, one of my favorite things of going to uh, sit with composers is mm-hmm. going into their studio and just seeing this just array of instruments that a lot of times mm-hmm. I've never even seen these before. or these antique instruments from, you know, a hundred years ago that have been restored. And it's, sure. I don't know. I find it also fascinating the the, the, the collection of instruments. Yep. Well, I, I, you know, there's so many crazy unique sounds in this world that you can do so many interesting things with, you know, and uh, uh, we live in this sort of world where you can kind of blend everything with everything. That's what's, yeah you know, you can send off a session to some guy in Tokyo and then send it to, you know, a, a singer, you know, who's living in, I, I don't know, deep in the Australian outback and oh, um, you oh, know, she, she's got her own studio and she can like record for you. And it's just, I mean, with the coronavirus going on as well, there are all these great videos of people like orchestras working remotely. And I saw one today of like, Berkeley college students like singing together from their dorm rooms, somehow doing it online. And like, it's just amazing what you can do remote. You can connect any musician in the world with any other one today and put them together and you can find a way to combine them with the technology. And wow. that's incredibly exciting. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that must open up so many yeah. opportunities. For sure, it it does, and I, I always try and in, in embrace those uh, just unique instruments from a certain part of the world. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, especially um, because it's all accessible. Yeah, for sure. You can reach out to anybody, and uh, you know, musicians. Uh, I will say they're generally struggling. Most musicians that I speak to are, are struggling, and um, they're eager to record. Um, and they're eager to make magic for you. So you can reach out to anybody, and odds are you'll probably manage to get some really good players on your on your score if you if you just take a bit of effort, you know. Yeah, you talk to the right people and have the right mm -hmm. ear, and it uh, mm -hmm. to a lot of places. For sure. Definitely. Yeah. Um, is there anything coming up that you're working on, or anything you can talk about, or something you're? I mean, I know right now with the uh, global pandemic, it's we're all kind of limited. <laughs> uh, well, um, yeah, it's, I, I'm doing another movie for Netflix. Actually, it's the uh, the sequel to Princess Switch, which was a, a big hit for them about 18 months ago. And uh, we are uh, we we currently kind of working on it and and figuring out how we're going to do. Uh, orchestra we we're probably going to have to combine a, a bunch of different uh, instruments remotely and you know but it's going to be a wonderful challenge and uh, we'll make we'll make it sound awesome and very excited about the movie it's going to be great so are you guys sort of working through the the pandemic to try to find ways to keep moving forward on the yeah i don't uh, you know obviously uh, uh netflix uh, canceled or production uh, during the pandemic um, but this one was already in the bag. It was already in editing. So the post schedule is, uh, is staying the same on it and, yeah. uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get it all finished up. So going to be, uh, slaving away on that for the next couple of weeks. Oh, that's cool. Well, yeah, but you know, it's like, you know, during this time and to me, it seems like it's, um, in some awful way, uh, like an opportunity to come up with new ideas or, you know, I think we're all eager to, to keep creating keep making things um within these limitations how do we do that i think that almost makes it an exciting opportunity at this time in a weird way i cannot agree with you more <laughs> like i think um you know obviously it's it's such a crazy time what we're all living through this this isolation this social distancing um but i just you know i think in times like this it's when one's creativity can can produce the most amazing results. Like I think we've all just got to be listening so carefully to those sort of inner voices right now, because I think extraordinary creativity is going to come out of this time. Uh, and I, I don't quite know what it's going to be yet, uh, but it's, uh, this is a world changing event we're living through. Exactly. And it's going to have, it's going to have like impact on everything. Yeah. Um, and the folks who can kind of, see those trends coming or be open to new trends and new direction and new creative forces. Uh, you know, I think it's very, very exciting. Um, part of me is so scared by everything. And then part of me is very excited by uh, the lemonade we're going to make from all these lemons, you know, that's how I feel about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's great to hear. It's because that, that's so awesome hearing that you you thinking the same thing. I I, I just think great stuff's going to come out of all. I'm this. going into production on a, a scripted podcast in the next Ooh. week or so, and awesome. I'm like, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> Where all the actors are going to record remotely, and we have a sound designer who's 
uh, going to be remote and we're, you know, we're just going to go for it and see what happens. <laughs> That's great. That's phenomenal. Uh, oh, and thank you. yeah, you, you, you may change the way that you work forever. That's the weird thing, you know, that is, it's true. Yeah. It's true. It's true. Yep. So, it's well, true. I think, the, I think to some degree of the world, um, the way we spend our time now is going to forever be altered or, or, you know, um, or looked at uh, through a different lens now, at least or a different perspective. Definitely. It's, yep. It's a key historical event. I've been saying that to my kids. I'm like, you're living through history. When, when you're 80 years old, you're going to talk about this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's how you, uh, it's how you respond, I guess. Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, we were, I was actually just, talking about this uh, uh, with my daughter, like when I was putting her to sleep tonight, she was like, cause she's desperate to go back to school. She's yeah. missing her friends and, and teacher. Like I'm sure your daughter is. Yeah. And um, you know, she was just saying to you, when do you think we're going to go back to school? And I'm like, well, I'm hoping that we're going to go back in May, but if we don't, we'll figure things out. Like, uh, and I was teaching her about that concept of hoping for the best and planning for the worst. And, uh, but it's really important to hope, like there's so much negativity and anxiety around that. Uh, we've got to be, be careful to hang on to the hope as well. And it doesn't mean being, you know, dumb or rushing forward too quickly or anything like that. It's just about, it's important to always be hopeful, you know? Yeah. I, you know, it's funny cause I was talking to my daughters about right now is a, is a great opportunity to think of just new ideas and how mm -hmm. valuable ideas are. Mm-hmm. And and, sure. and how to come up with uh, new ideas w within these limitations at this time, and um, mm -hmm. you know, I, to me, it's an opportunity. <laughs> it's a, it's a definitely. Play. Oh. Definitely, this is music to my ears. You, you you're making my day by saying all of this. I gotta say, <laughs> we 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 gotta just be thinking this stuff. We cannot give in to the negativity and the anxiety going around at the moment. It's like I'm a, no, I'm, a, I'm an endlessly positive guy, which so. normally like is annoying to a lot of people, especially like when all things like <laughs> like you know fall apart on a film set. And I'm like, it's all gonna be fine. It's all gonna come together. <laughs> That was yesterday. <laughs> but then the, the thing is, it does normally come together. That's, it does. It yeah. all works out. And, yeah. In and, and movie world. Yeah. It does. It somehow works out. So. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much. This has been a, a great conversation. I'm glad we were able to pull it off during the, the global pandemic that we're experiencing now. Totally. Thanks so much, Michael. I've so enjoyed chatting with you. This has been really great. And, um, thank you all, ladies and gentlemen. This has been another episode of Tales from the Cruise.